2: Bridge Street Capital Partners is a Sydney-based corporate advisory firm that specialises in equity capital market transactions for small cap companies listed on the ASX, primarily in the mining, energy and tech sectors. If you are a Section 708 sophisticated investor and would like to be on Bridge Street's distribution list for their upcoming capital raises, please send them your details via an email to invest at bridgestreetcapital.com.au and mention the BIP show in your message. Now on with the show. How are you now? You're listening to the all-new BIP Show, Season 4, Episode 2. BIP is for business, investing, and policy. That is what we're here to talk about. Don't forget to hit subscribe and rate us wherever you get your podcasts. A reminder that all the financial information in this podcast is general in nature only. Speak to a professional advisor about your needs. Uh, Coincidentally, that is what I do. I am James Whelan, Investment Manager at VFS Group, and your host this afternoon uh, for Episode 3 of the fourth season, recorded at mm, about 3.12 on the 10th of March, 2022 AD. I do apologise. Any background noise that you hear is the sound of every single lawnmower, whippersnapper, greenskeeper, gardener in the entire neighbourhood because this is the only sunny day that Sydney has seen in three weeks and probably will be the only sunny day that Sydney will see for at least another three weeks as well, La Nina in full effect. Um, Now, that's our local news that's there um, <laughs> Sydney has seen a fair amount of water. Um, if that's the worst of our problems, then I think that we've had a pretty good day um, and I think that we've had a pretty good couple of weeks. The, the, the situation over in Ukraine does not get uh, any better, although it does seem, it looks like there seemed to be some window in what I seem to feel is a windowless situation. I, I've been trying to struggle, and, and if you'd listened to last week's podcast, you would have heard, talking to David Sikolsky about... What is the exit strategy for for Russia? What is the exit strategy out of Ukraine? How do they actually manage to est- extricate themselves from the situation? Um, and it seems like that potentially Russia and Ukraine may be happy to talk about some sort of an exit if Ukraine will give up um, any intentions of joining NATO. Uh, then potentially it means that uh, that they'll be happy to see Russia out of their territories. Um, and all the need that all that needs to happen after that is is pretty much for the russians to uh, wait for the mud to dry out and dig their tanks out and depart now obviously not getting too deep into the politics of it i think that what the situation has seen has shown between russia and the ukraine is that uh, europe has shown itself to be at the behest and, and and definitely sort of at the mercy of pretty much just one guy and that's not really a good way to run uh, policy, if you're if you're running a country, there's no. I mean, I'm pretty flat bat on this uh, tongue in cheek sort of situation here. There's the, the the situation that Europe has found themselves in is particularly special and probably one that a lot of people said, hey, if you if you let if if you have all of your natural gas running from one country and all of your energy policy sort of coming from a very small amount of places, and those small amount of places are probably going to be able to tell you what to do at some stage, or if they try and invade another country, then it's going to make it quite difficult for you. That's the situation that they're in. Now, right now, it is an open slather. And I think the days of Greta Thunberg, um, who I have a lot of respect for, and I love people who stand up and speak out, um, and everything that happened at the at the Climate Summit in Glasgow, which was only in November, is now pretty much going to be in the past. So I decided, look, we need to have a special episode. And that special episode needs to focus on what energy policy is going to be like for the long time ahead for, 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 for what's coming ahead. It has to be more than wind. People are understanding that. And any policy maker at any European or potentially any, any global Western country has to now actually start shaping policy and they actually do have a really big serious pass to be able to say we need serious stable energy policy which is going to last and withstand the wind dying or the sun not shining or potentially copper prices or not relying on one or two pipelines that come from one country that might decide to, to suddenly start to cause a bit of trouble in uh, in Europe. So um, a little stat that I've got for you here is that is it someone, a celebrity put out that uh, wind power solves this with regards to uh, to what's going on in Ukraine. That's an interesting s- statement with regards to wind power. Just in April last year, the commodity analyst, CRU, estimated that by the 2030s, the use of copper... In wind turbines, electric vehicles and other green technology will hit 6 million tonnes of refined copper, accounting for 20% of global consumption. Now, we know what's happened to copper prices. We know what's happened to nickel prices, which is hilarious at the moment, uh, and nickel obviously being used in a lot of Tesla cars. So the, we understand that, that the green revolution is actually, a, it, it involves digging a lot of holes and digging a lot of, uh, digging a lot of stuff out of the ground. So this is why I've, I've been a long-held believer of, uh, of hydrogen policy. And uh, this, <laughs> this is where my next guest comes from. So long-term, um, stable energy policy, it has to involve hydrogen, in my view, or it at least has to be one of the options on the table, and that's why we're doing this special edition right now. So my guest today, I heard him speak um, in a company. One of my other jobs is actually to be an investment advisor, and and uh, one of the companies that I was investing in um, had, uh, had this uh, – this person, Brad Lingo, uh, speak, and it was fascinating. I've, I've not heard someone who knows so much about his space and knows so much about his particular company and so much about what's going on. So my guest today is is Brad Lingo. Brad has extensive experience in developing and implementing business strategy uh, to create and maximise value in Australian and international energy and energy infrastructure markets. I'll just go straight to what you've done, 30-year career career. Um, board, C-suite, senior exec roles, namely at Drill Search. We'll get to that. The Commonwealth Bank of Australia, God bless them. Armor Energy, Port Anthony Renewables, Sunshine Gas, and Epic Energy, um, all focused on implementing targeted business development strategies aimed at growing and developing, delivering shareholder value um, through the delivery of cost-competitive energy resource solutions. There you go. Uh, now we're going to get to the to the Drill Search side of things. He was actually mentioned the recognition. I've got this. I've got to, I've got to give you an award, um, including winning the uh, SMH East Coles S&P uh, ASX 200 Energy Best CEO of 2014. Incredible. Um, thank you for joining us. Now, we're going to uh, talk to Brad now, but we've got a, another special guest that's coming on sort of at the end just to, just to round it up um, at the end of the thing. So, But Brad, thank you for joining us on the VIP show. How are you now? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm great. Uh,
0: and, and it's a real pleasure to talk about um hydrogen and it's a real pleasure to talk about uh pilot energy where that's a, a core focus of our
2: um, business going forward that's right i did actually uh, in the entire in the entire introduction i do apologize i forgot to mention that you are the chairman of pilot energy listed company on the asx and it's good that we can get to get to that one pgy is the uh, is the stock code and uh, and a nice little stock but we'll get to the we'll get to the details on that um particular on that particular event now, first off, uh, we need a refresher on uh, on hydrogen. Now, the last time so it was it was probably last year. Yeah, it was about last year when I started getting invest, investing in hydrogen as being a part of portfolios that need to need to have a portion of of hydrogen. Do you, can, can you for us just run us through how how hydrogen actually powers things? Just just for any layman who wants to get into it.
0: Well, uh, you know, first and foremost, um, you know, hydrogen is the, uh, you know, most prevalent molecule in the entire universe. Um, uh, it, um, you know, it permeates, you know, everything in us and around us. Um, and uh, it uh, fundamentally, when we focus on it from an energy perspective, it's, it's a clean fuel that can be consumed either through combustion or through um, a fuel cell. Um, which is effectively another form of battery. Um, it can be produced uh, from a variety of domestic uh, resources. Um, traditionally, uh, most of the hydrogen that's produced in the world today—98% um, of it—comes uh, from natural gas, um, where natural gas is, you know, one carbon molecule and four hydrogen molecules. Um, so we're all very familiar with, you know, utilizing uh, natural gas for a whole range of Um, uh, energy uses, um, from generating steam to direct, uh, combustion for, uh, producing electricity. Um, but hydrogen can also be produced directly from water, um, uh, with water being two hydrogen molecules and one oxygen molecule. And, um, when we talk about fuel cells as a, as a, uh, a form of utilizing, um, hydrogen, um, The fuel cells, as we understand them today, were actually uh, developed by NASA for the space program because they needed a reliable, consistent uh, form of power that they could take up in space. Um, And since they had limited atmosphere, they couldn't afford to uh, be generating high levels of CO2 inside the space module. Um, So a a fuel cell is effectively a, a form of battery um that uh, utilizes hydrogen as its energy input and um when uh, the hydrogen hydrogen is ultimately uh, processed through the fuel cell the emission is once again water Um, so it returns to its original state um you know hydrogen can be produced from um you know several traditional technologies um uh, uh, form of hydrogen production, mainly um, uh, executed uh, globally today, is through a, a process called uh, thermally through steam methane reformation, um, which was effectively a commercialized industrial process um, that uh, was developed in the late 1800s and is a very mature technology. The other, the other form of um, hydrogen production really comes from electrolysis, and that's taking electricity to split that hydrogen molecule off of water, um, and then storing and using the hydrogen molecule as a either as a direct fuel, or as the vector for transferring that energy um, to run through the the fuel cell that we talked about. Um, uh, so that's that's you know really the fundamentals of um, hydrogen is as, as, as a molecule um, where the real advantage comes in and why that uh, tremendous amount of interest and I think you hit on a couple key themes James was first um, hydrogen uh, one if it's combusted as hydrogen uh, thermally or if it's used in a fuel cell um, the output has no uh, co2 or greenhouse gas emissions so that's that's the first positive. The second positive is, as I highlighted, um, hydrogen is everywhere. Um, Water is everywhere. Um, We have large distributed um, electricity networks. So in terms of um, being able to have a supply chain where we can actually produce hydrogen, either in a centralized way or in a distributed way, you know, the fundamental building blocks of being able to um, produce hydrogen as a fuel close to point of consumption um, is already exists. Um, And it isn't, it isn't dependent upon uh, particularly um, uh, the production of hydrogen from thermal technologies, SMR um, uh, isn't dependent upon um, uh, major advances in any form of technology. In, in reality now in terms of uh, uh the climate for um hydrogen here in australia um one of the one of the key ways of hydrogen production um really is uh where do we source that clean electricity um to produce um uh that hydrogen molecule through electrolysis Well, Australia is one of the um, best places on the planet in terms of its endowment um, in, you know, clean, renewable resources, whether that's wind, solar. uh, You know, we've had snowy hydro operating for a long, long time. And so, um, you know, the great opportunity in the climate for hydrogen in Australia is marrying up that you know, those ubiquitous, renewable resources with, um, uh, you know, water um, and producing hydrogen either for local uh, domestic consumption um, as a replacement fuel for uh, many of the carbon-based fuels that we we consume today uh, and or ultimately for export because there are, you know, lots of energy-consuming um uh economies that they they just don't have that endowment of you know uh consistent reliable um, renewables um, and when we combine it with also the ability to produce hydrogen thermally um, uh, Australia can also effectively convert its large endowment of natural gas into clean hydrogen for both domestic and export use
2: now, that, uh, I, I think that basically you, you may have, that, that last part might just answer this question for me, but uh, the Australian use case for hydrogen, mm. where do you see where do you see the policy just locally going for Australia with regards to its use of, of hydrogen? I know that there was a bit of policy about it last year, and I, I honestly have not been able to keep up with the follow through on that. Exactly, and, I, and maybe you could help us out
0: yeah well the commonwealth government uh you know very recently has come out with um uh, a major policy initiative um and and they the the commonwealth government's you know policy initiative around hydrogen has been uh moving for the last several years um uh to identify you know the the hydrogen opportunity for the foreign economy overall and now that's translating into policy and how it's now translating into policy is that the Commonwealth government is effectively um, offering sponsorship and support for the development of major hydrogen uh, production hubs around Australia. Um, and they're, they're running a um, uh, a process right now um, uh, at across every state um, to put up its hand um, to be, A major um, uh, venue for the production of hydrogen, both for its local domestic uh, uh, economy, but also for export. Um, So, for example, where a lot of pilot's operations are um, in Australia, in in Western Australia, and the Western Australian government has put up, you know, two specific locations. One. Uh, with the northwest Shelf and the other where pilots operating um on the midwest coast around Geraldton. um uh and in fact it's it's called the Okage strategic industrial clean hydrogen hub um where the West Australian government
2: uh, i mean yeah
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah um uh did a a, a call for tenders of uh, expressions of interest yeah for uh companies to get involved in the development of that hydrogen hub and i think they they got something like um over 70 submissions and um uh, quite a few of those submissions came from you know uh, globally recognized um uh, international energy majors um yeah. looking to the migration of their business from being traditional you know hydrocarbon based companies to being hydrogen companies um uh, most recently, you'll see that uh, New South Wales has you know put up its hand and said we think we can develop a major hydrogen hub um, at Newcastle. Mm. Uh, similarly, Queensland, um, you know, has earmarked you know the potential to develop uh, a hydrogen hub um, at um, at Gladstone, and down in uh, Victoria, there are a number of locations um, uh, that have been identified. Um, as you know, both domestic and export points for um, uh, hydrogen hubs, the Northern Territory, Darwin, of course. Um, so, uh, you know, there's there's as I as I pointed out, you know, the the building blocks um, for you know producing hydrogen either from its traditional thermal means or from uh, the um, uh, electrolysis means um, uh, are you know, broadly across Australia, um, yeah. and you know, there's that you know that clean ability, clear ability to you know marry up, you know, the input uh, inputs for the production of hydrogen with that uh, ubiquitous footprint in you know uh, renewable energy.
2: So the uh, was it the Geraldson hub? What's that to be used for? So that's um that's creating that's generating hydrogen.
0: So, well, it's actually it's it's it actually has really what I'd say three, um, uh, key destinations, and there yeah. and there's there's more than one major proponent um of uh, uh hydrogen development um at Geraldton, um so there's the uh, Western Australian government initiative um around Okiji. but then there's a, a an initiative um, also at. Uh, from uh, BP, um, and BP is uh, looking to the uh, leverage um, uh, the production of green hydrogen, you know, from water and renewable power, wind and solar, yeah, uh, to produce uh, what they're calling green chemicals. Um, you know, hydrogen is uh, not only an energy source, but it's also a building block for um, many of the things that we consume today, whether it's fertilizer, um, whether it's uh, to uh, produce ammonia as an energy vector for the efficient uh, transportation of hydrogen. Um, uh, you know, all of our food in, and in one way or another has you know, a significant hydrogen linkage. Um, and so uh, there's what I say, three key Um, you know, opportunities. Um, The first is, as I mentioned, BP's um, uh, production of um, clean hydrogen molecules to produce clean chemicals, uh, chemicals that when they're ultimately used in, um, you know, various, you know, energy or or industrial processes, um, they do not result in the emission of CO2 or other greenhouse gases. Yep. Um, The second is you know the direct substitution of the use of hydrogen where we have traditionally used natural gas first on a blending basis um, and uh on a longer term basis as a full substitute um when you combust natural gas because you know a natural gas molecule is you know one carbon molecule and um for hydrogen molecules when you combust it um, you know, one of your byproducts is in fact, um, CO2, um, that's, that's the, the output of, you know, oxidation of the, the methane molecule. Um, uh, so anything that you can do in terms of at least initially blending hydrogen into the existing natural gas system, you know, gives you a direct, you know, reduction in, um, when you combust that blended product in terms of the reduction of CO2 emissions. And thirdly, and this is this is one um, a, where the Grattan Institute um, uh, in, um, I think it was May of last year, put out a paper um, called Start With Steel. And, um, you know, Australia is the largest exporter of high quality iron ore. Um, and Western Australia is the largest exporter in Australia. Of yeah. that that iron ore yeah. and one of the the, the key uh, opportunities is that one of the advanced technologies for processing iron ore um into steel is um uh, a technology called um uh, uh direct reduction um uh, or dri uh and traditionally that that technology you know uh was uh, evolved in the 1950s and 60s and migrated through the uh, to its current um, utilization. And that technology is based on taking natural gas and um, breaking off the hydrogen molecule and reacting that um, with uh, the iron ore, which is iron oxide, mm-hmm. to drive off the oxygen. So you end up with pure iron, which then becomes an ultra-pure product um, as the feed going into the production of steel, um, so the, the 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 start with steel um, uh, theme that was identified by the Grattan Institute was here. We're sitting here with this perfect, you know, what I call the perfect storm of opportunity uh, for Australia is we we are the principal uh, global provider of iron ore, high quality iron ore. We are one of the most uh, richly endowed countries in terms of renewable energy. Um, The opportunity for us is to marry those up um, and use that renewable energy, um, use that and marry it with our high quality um, iron or or iron ore resources um, through uh, moving into the hydrogen chain and um, using hydrogen directly as part of that uh, direct reduction iron technology. Yeah. Um, in Sweden, they've already started the commercialization of um, that type of green iron, green steel production. I have um,
2: seen some, some of the Swedish work. It's quite fascinating
0: that. Yeah, that, the hybrid project. And, and the, the, the renewables they're leveraging there um, are wind and hydro. Um, we've got hydro and solar. So um, they, have, they have iron ore, but not nearly to the magnitude that we do. Um, and so um, the Midwest coast of Western Australia uh, for a long time has been identified by the West Australian government as um, uh, the center of where they would like to develop a direct reduction iron um, uh, processing center. Um, that was quite a big theme for the West Australian government in the 1990s. And now it's getting its kind of reboot because it's not using... Um, natural gas, it's focused on using, you know, the direct hydrogen molecule. Um, again, you know, there there are uh, any number of um, industrial processes, um, whether it goes from cement manufacturer, um, alumina, you know, bauxite to alumina refining, um, uh, uh, fertilizer manufacturer, all of those um, uh, you know, use um, natural gas is an input. Um, they're all, you know, large-scale um, uh, mineral processing operations that occur here in Australia. Um, they all currently consume large quantities of natural gas, and therefore have significant CO two emissions. And they're perfect venues for you know substituting out the use of natural gas for the large-scale um, use of hydrogen
2: and where Brad where, where are the exact applications for sorry where, where where are the opportunities for pilot energy right now well
0: for pilot um, uh, you know we we're focused on you know um, a you know a two-stage um, transition um, uh, approach to hydrogen the first the first stage is for us to focus on the production of blue hydrogen Now, blue hydrogen is hydrogen that um, is produced from the traditional, you know, uh, proven thermal technology. Um, But what makes it different is that associated with that type of production, that hydrogen, with using natural gas as a feedstock, um, we have the capacity to capture all of the CO2 and on a very cost effective basis, sequester that CO2 geologically um and that happens because you know we've we've started out as an oil and gas explorer we have an oil and gas um production asset that is um you know in our view ideally suited as a uh, repository for sequestering the co2 produced from blue hydrogen yeah um and uh, and so just we're and, very, and
2: yeah, just, just to note about the blue hydrogen. So there's there's, there's green hyd- hydrogen that comes from uh, the electrolysis uh, re- re- renewables that, that that's and water from, yeah. like
0: electrolysis of water using renewables. Yep, and um, blue and hydrogen comes
2: from the use um, of
0: uh, steam methane reformation yep, of yep. of uh, of natural gas. Yep, but it's considered blue because you capture all the CO two. Yep, and you do Whereas, and,
2: No, I'm sorry. Whereas you, you had it
0: there. Yeah. Whereas, you know, if you use natural gas to produce CO2, uh, produce, um, hydrogen and you don't capture the CO2, that's considered gray hydrogen. Yeah. That's 96, 98% of the hydrogen produced in the world is produced through that type of, you know, thermal process and all that CO2 is vented. It doesn't have to be, it shouldn't, it shouldn't be. And what do you you do with it? So in, in in pilot's perspective, um, uh, we're applying um or uh, proposing to apply uh um a series of novel uh technologies. Um uh the net power um generation technology um where when natural gas is combusted um rather than venting the CO two, we turn the CO two into the actual uh, supercritical Uh, dense uh, fluid to actually run the turbine. Um, And when we run that turbine, the CO2 um, uh, is then um, in a perfect form to be, be um, sequestered and um, deposited back down into um, an old mature, a a maturing oil field um, where that oil field is, you know, held, Uh, hydrocarbons uh, underground for millions and millions of years and the way we like to think of that oil field the cliffhead oil field it is um you know uh it was a warehouse that at one point in time it was filled with oil Mm -hmm. it's now becoming a very empty warehouse and what do we do with that warehouse and our our uh plan is to use that empty warehouse as a permanent vault um, for the storage of CO2 uh, produced from the production of hydrogen from natural gas um, so that we end up with a clean, pure um, hydrogen product with no CO2 emissions. And one of the reasons we, we have focused on that, and this is um, uh, done some, by some work by um, uh, uh, S&P Platt's, they did a global analysis, and there's the IA's IA done similar analysis. Um uh, global CCI has done similar analysis. That um uh looking at the you know the, the the global cost breakdown of you know what does it cost to produce hydrogen, um, is that gray hydrogen with no with just venting CO2 that um cost about a dollar a kilo to produce. Um Green hydrogen using, you know, low cost renewables um, and current electrolyzer uh, technology, both in terms of efficiency and cost that is generating um, a cost. And um, these are us dollars, us $1 a kilo for, for gray um, us uh, about $4 a kilo for the production of hydrogen through electrolysis. Great. Um, what they also um, came to is, That to produce um, uh, blue hydrogen um, with, you know, full carbon capture and storage is somewhere around US 140 a kilo. So basically a third of the cost of green. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Now, you can't do it everywhere. You have to have that, you know, ready access to, you know, the suitable um, uh, storage formation. Yeah. Uh, You know, a, a, you know, a warehouse that needs to be turned into a permanent vault. Can need to pile um, back into the earth somehow. And exactly, it's, and, it's gotta, and that's has got to be convenient. Yeah, yep. and that's that's what pilot has, and you know we're completing you know detailed feasibility studies that are validating just that, and pointing to that we can, you know, produce about forty five thousand tons per annum of blue hydrogen, and we can do that with full carbon capture and storage of, you know, circa five hundred thousand tons per annum of. CO2 sequestered, you know, permanently in that, in that, that vault. Um, And uh, we can do that at a Australian dollar cost of um, sub $2 a kilo. Now that's, you know, one, you know, for, you know, direct consumption into the domestic market, but equally, you know, on an expanded basis. um, And this is where I think there's a, there's a very, Big game changer, particularly for Australia um, in terms of um, uh, using um, clean ammonia um, as an energy vector uh, for efficiently moving hydrogen from Australia to energy consumers that aren't nearly as well endowed with that ability to produce low cost, um, low cost hydrogen directly. and uh, the um, uh, major Japanese um, uh, utilities um, last year embarked on with significant support from the Japanese government on a um, pilot project to see if they could actually burn ammonia at a high percentage in existing coal-fired power plants. Um, And they proved that they could successfully co-fire up to 20% uh, ammonia in those uh, coal-fired power plants and generate a 20% reduction in greenhouse gas emissions and no other increase in any other emissions. Now, why, why do you focus on ammonia? Well, ammonia as a molecule is simply one nitrogen molecule and three hydrogen molecules. Mm-hmm. So that uh, the the hydrogen is transported, you know, with its friend, the nitrogen molecule, and when it's combusted, that nitrogen goes into the atmosphere and 60% of our atmosphere is already nitrogen. So we're basically just recycling the nitrogen from the point at which we produce the, um, uh, the ammonia to then when it's released as part of that co-firing. Um, the, um, uh, and, and off that uh, successful demonstration that they can do that, not at a pilot scale, but at a full commercial scale um, with a relatively simple and modest refit on those existing coal-fired power plants. Um, uh, The Japanese uh, um, uh, power consortium Jira, J-E-R-A, has now gone out for uh, a call for expressions of interest, um, seeking to secure um, 500,000 tons per annum of clean ammonia for co-firing in existing power facilities in um, in Japan mm-hmm. with a view that they'll move from co-firing to 100% ammonia firing so there will be no be no CO2 emissions from those projects and from this you know one call for expression of interest for supply here in 2022 they're actually seeking to contract up to 3 million tons per annum of um, uh, uh, clean ammonia by 2030. Now, when we look at it that way, that's basically looking at 500,000 tons per annum of hydrogen production to generate that 3 million tons of of um, uh, ammonia. Now, how does that, you know, bode well for Australia? Well, um, you know, as part of that transition, that ultimate um, production of hydrogen and um, either sending it as a direct vector or sending it um, indirectly through clean ammonia, um, that becomes the the beginning of the substitution of a new clean carbon free um, energy source um, as a substitute for LNG. Okay, okay,
2: okay, okay. Let's. So, uh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, no, go on,
0: go on, Brett. Um, so. You can see where Australia, already being one of the long-term suppliers, um, and um, of of LNG to Japan, is is very well situated to, um, you know, uh, you know, focus on the production of hydrogen, um, and and or clean ammonia, um, as that energy vector today, to effectively, you know, um, focus on being that source of a clean uh, molecule hydrogen um, for clean energy generation um, from clean energy resources here um, whether that's um, the production of hydrogen with carbon capture and storage for blue hydrogen or the green hydrogen because our wealth of renewable resources there is
2: uh, there's, there is clearly a need for it and clearly government support for it. Now, Brad, just sit tight. I'm just going to bring in uh, another guest here. I'm just going to load him up. Uh, Chad Hitzman from ETF Securities. Now, ETF Securities do some amazing uh, bits and pieces around the traps in the ETF space, the name says it all, um, mainly and the one that I'm uh, super bullish on and super keen on is the Gold, G-O-L-D ETF. But aside from that... They've also got a pretty handy little hydrogen ETF as well. So I thought i will get Chad in, old mate of mine from a 1,000 years ago, who I've always thought was Canadian, and I've just found out that he's from Chicago, of all places. Um, so Chad, Chad is responsible for, uh, for servicing the, the financial advisors. Any, any financial advisors or planners or anyone who's out there listening would absolutely know Chad from ETF Securities. He joined uh, in 2017. And uh, Chad, how are you now?
1: Oh, James, I'm well. How are you?
2: Not so bad, mate. Can't complain. I don't intend to. No one would listen anyway. The, uh, mate, there's a bit going on um, over, over season. I, I don't know if you managed to hear what everything that Brad uh, Bradlingo just told us with regards to the Australian perspective and where pilot energy fits into that to that scheme as well and the government support for it. Let's just take it out a little bit further. And Brad, chip in if you want to as well on this one. Uh, on... on What's going on, obviously Russia, Ukraine being a bit of a situation, but how do you see this shaping global policy with regards to energy Uh, and specifically uh, where where does hydrogen fit into it? Because it seemed like it was a beautiful theme last year and everyone was very excited about it and it seems to have dropped off the stage and then now I'm noticing that the hydrogen ETFs that I follow, like yours, have actually started to, to, to chip up a bit and really need to be paid attention to.
1: Okay, well, I'll begin from the start here. Uh, There's, of course, been a traumatic resurfacing of geopolitics on Russia and what's currently occurring with traditional old economy energy, namely oil, natural gas. I think there is no short-term immediate solution in terms of alternative energy, like hydrogen stepping in and relieving elevated oil prices and so forth. In fact, I think in the short term, there needs to be more pragmatism on the part of policymakers, particularly in the U.S., Uh, with respect to U.S. shale and oil production. Although this itself faces hurdles, given that the current administration, the Biden administration, has put the U.S. oil industry on something of a phasing out path. So in other words, it's going to be hard to get domestic producers there back investing, as they'll be worried that eventually, yet again, they'll be treated unfavorably in terms of drilling permits, pipeline permits, and so forth. Now, that's the short term. For the long term, this is where hydrogen comes into play. This is where countries can, with sufficient time, uh, capital, and policy por- support, can diversify their energy infrastructure to include things like hydrogen. But this is long term. And at ETF Securities, this is what we realize when bringing to market an exchange traded fund that enables investors a way to allocate capital to hydrogen ecosystem firms that are attempting to pave this path toward energy transition. Why the long-term? We know that hydrogen has some lovely physical properties. Um, Principle among them is high energy Uh density by mass. Um, A kilo of hydrogen embodies about three times the energy content as a kilo of gasoline. But hydrogen is gotten from water in a process called electrolysis, which you touched on, um, using electricity to break its bond with oxygen. This is currently... um, efficient only up to a certain extent. So electrolysis can reach an energy efficiency up to 80% using best practices. That means it takes, say, 50 kilowatt hours of energy and associated emissions to liberate 40 kilowatt hours worth of hydrogen. So more needs to be done on this front. In fuel cells, which are kind of a stack of permeable membranes where hydrogen is married with oxygen to produce electricity, the most efficient devices yield about 60% of the potential energy. So more needs to be done here too. However, test fleets of fuel cell powered heavy trucks are already on the road, as well as locomotives, ships, buses, and other applications. Interesting for us are those companies that are making and designing fuel cells that are used at corporate headquarters or remote locations to produce power on site, or the use of fuel cells to run power plants. Most notably, there is a company in South Korea that runs the world's largest clean energy power plant which uses um, hydrogen to power 135 thousand homes more interestingly perhaps it, its fuel cells as well are being used for carbon capture and storage it, it partnered this company with ExxonMobil to use fuel cells to remove carbon from ExxonMobil's exhaust for example um, that particular company by the way is called fuel cell energy now, Uh, I'll I'll close on this, that the path forward for hydrogen uh, is principally developing green hydrogen production technology if we want to be kind of uh, more environmentally friendly. And this is where hydrogen is made using electrolysis of water, but with renewable power inputs. Um, So there would be limited emissions or emissions free. However, there are several challenges going forward. So um, bringing down the high cost of producing hydrogen from low carbon energy is one. Mm -hmm. Um, slow infrastructure development um, for integrating hydrogen. Um, In the U.S., for example, there are only currently 48 public hydrogen fueling stations. Um, There's also a hurdle of slow government support in the form of investments and incentives. So if we consider the U.S. and the Build Back Better um, initiative, uh, for instance, it's currently stalled and and also tax credits then for hydrogen companies are, are stalled um but still, in the global transition away from fossil fuels from our perspective, it is likely a mix of energy solutions will be relied on so from
0: batteries backed by lithium to elements like hydrogen
2: yeah, says, yeah. you.
0: and and chad i you know i I fully support that and and you know that that focus on the ultimate production of the uh, the green hydrogen um part of pilot's overall strategy is that um the, the, the way that the initial platform that in the use of the net power technology and its associated hydrogen produ- production technology is that um, it contemplates um, the second stage involving the actual direct integration of renewables and a co-production of green hydrogen, um, which will take. Uh, and for our particular project in the new, uh the um, uh, in the Midwest. You know, from an initial hydrogen output of circa uh, 45,000 tons uh, per annum to doubling that. Um, and uh, because of the kind of co use of um, all of the associated planted equipment, um, the um, uh, green hydrogen technology, one, provides a critical input to the um, uh, critical input of oxygen into the um production of uh the blue hydrogen and um the uh um the production of the blue hydrogen then um a production of the green hydrogen pro- provides us more hydrogen so it's kind of a it becomes a bit of a virtuous cycle and you know part of our overall development is you know that the the next stage of the our overall project focus is um the deployment of large scale Renewables, both wind and solar, Um, and when we marry the two technologies together, we get very high capacity factors, circa ninety-two and a half percent across all the plant and equipment.
2: Okay, but that's um, compared to what is it now?
0: Well, if you just if you if you just looked at um, uh, and this this you can see this in um, BP's um, feasibility study they did for their uh, green chemicals project, and similarly for the West Australian government um, uh, OKG project, um, their um, uh, capacity factor with um, uh, you know a very solid mix of uh, onshore wind and onshore solar, um, they were able to achieve, achieve just about seventy percent capacity factors. So you know you're looking at thirty percent of the time. Your plant and equipment is um, uh, underutilized, and particularly um, that that goes to um, you know less fewer hydrogen molecules being produced, um, which then means each hydrogen molecule over a period of time has to bear a, a greater share of the cost of um, the capital investment for the project. Okay. So to the extent that you can you can keep it running. Um, at that high capacity factor, um, just just as Chad was talking about the efficiencies, um, uh, you know, it's a combination of you know multiple layers of efficiency by bringing the bringing the technologies together okay. is, is, is absolutely critical to succeeding.
2: Um, uh, that's uh, fantastic, and uh, Brad, your insight has been uh, phenomenal with regards to the actual creation and where the, where the application is for the Australian. Environment and also on the global stage too, and I do thank you for that. Chad, also, uh, ETF Securities, thank you so much for that one. Your product, H-G-E-N, Hotel, Golf, Echo, November, is the stock code on the Australian market, uh, a, a nice little ETF. I'm just looking through the top 10 holdings here, Plug Power, Bloom Energy, Ballard, ITM Power, Fuel Cell, that's Doosan, that's your top six, uh, One Day, I hope to see PGY Pilot Energy on this list of of holdings in this in this ETF. Brad, do you think uh, is that is that a long term goal? Do you think that, that the pilot could um, eventually from from little things, big things grow and, uh, and 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 be at the world stage on this side?
0: Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> we're very we're very focused on you know uh, a a very serious large, you know large scale deployment. Um, Both, uh, you know, building off of a you know an initial blue platform um, to to quickly um, build out um, both green in our our green production capacity and our overall renewables platform.
2: Thank you, thank you. Um, Look, I'm going to have to wrap it up now because it's it's just hit a time when we've all got other things to do. So, um, Bridge Street Capital Partners uh, brought you this special presentation on hydrogen. They're a Sydney-based corporate advisory firm that specialises in equity capital markets transactions for small-cap companies listed on the ASX, primarily in the mining, energy, and tech sectors. Sophisticated investors who want to hear about Bridge Street's upcoming capital raises can send their details to invest at bridgestreetcapital.com.au. Don't forget to subscribe to the show, rate us, leave a review wherever you get your podcast. You can find us on iTunes, at The Bip Show, or wherever you get your podcast. We're on Twitter for some reason. You know where to find us and we're also on Facebook for some reason. I've got no idea. I've got my own website, Wheeling Capital, Google that. The show is there as well, and all the other details that we have. I'll put some stuff about about pilot energy. I'll also put some links up to HGEN and ETF Securities. Thank you, Chad, uh, for joining us today. Thank you, James, for having me. And, uh,
1: Brad,
0: that was a wonderful outline of the um, hydrogen universe as well. Ah, Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Look, uh, it's something I'm passionate about.
2: No worries. Uh, thank you very much Brad for joining us and uh, and I look forward to catching up with you again good uh, good of you to join us at this time when I do see that energy policy as being shaped what is being done now will decide the way that we turn our lights on and and run our trucks and run our factories for the for probably the rest of our lifetime so very interesting and thank you for the for the timely response thank you uh, now this show is produced by drunken monkeys um, whoever I could find at the time. Thank you for joining us and we'll catch you next time. Thank you for listening.